It's 2022, which means it's a renewal year and you need CEUs. 30 if you're in South Carolina, and three of those have to be on ethics, jurisprudence, and whatever else goes in that category. Look, the year's going by fast, and you can knock out all those requirements with a MedBridge subscription, and you can get 40% off with the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD. I have a friend named Shelly, and she's a little lazy. Her words, not mine. She hasn't done any Con Ed over the past year and a half until she got her subscription set up. And what she does is she just puts modules on her phone while she watches 90 Day Fiance. Great show, by the way. Is she learning anything? No. But is she getting the local governing bodies off her bat? Yes. Your subscription also includes NSCA credits, OCS certification prep courses, patient education, home exercise programs, EMR integration. There's tons and tons of resources. Again, use the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD to get 40% off your individual subscription. That's the best price that MedBridge offers, okay? Only the best for our listeners. Now enjoy the episode. What's happening, Better Faster Podcast listeners? It's the first episode of 2019, and this one is all about ankle mobility. In this episode, Josh and I talk about why ankle mobility matters, what we look for when assessing things like tibial internal rotation, ankle dorsiflexion, and lateral tibial glide. We also dive into some of our favorite correctives, which include manual therapy techniques and self-mobilizations, as well as training implications. If you haven't already, be sure to head on over to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast first, then leave us a five-star review. That's what helps us reach more people, and we're trying to get up to 100 reviews as soon as we can. Enjoy the episode. Happy Monday, Better Faster Podcast listeners. It's the first episode of 2019, and today's comes by request of our good friend, Coach Riley Kilbride. And we're talking about ankle mobility, specifically how to improve someone's range of motion. And Josh, we had to cover this topic today because I just saw on social media that Riley is doing ballet. Yeah, man. He was in, a, I believe it, he was Aladdin in, uh, is who he played in their, their ballet. Oh, he, would, he would be Aladdin. He was, man. He was a good looking Aladdin. Got to give him credit. Um, so it was, um, I believe the, the I, I don't know the whole story, but I guess they share a space in some way with a ballet company. And somehow or another, he got roped into it. And you know him, he loves to try something new. Um, you know, he has no fear. And he always like, you know, he'll put himself out there. He, you know, I give him credit for going for it, man. Um, and apparently it went, it went really well, all things, um, everything I've heard of. So I'm excited to maybe see some clips if I can find some of those. Yeah, I know, I know the story, man. I know Riley likes to try new things, but I've also known Riley for a while, man. I got a suspicion that he wanted to wear them tights and show off them quads and lift them girls above his head. Oh, yeah, for sure. It may not have been as much them recruiting him as him begging to be in there, but, yeah, that remains to be seen. <laughs> I hear you, man. Quads by CPC. Yeah, All right, let's see. <laughs> what else, man? Uh, week one in the new spot is in the books. We got yeah. so many donuts this week. First dozen came first morning on day one. Dude, I is not going to be good for my wedding body in six. <laughs> today is exactly um, we're recording this six months to the day of my impending nuptials, and uh, I am. It's not going to be good if we get you know we got three dozen in three days, so yeah. uh, it's not going to be it's not going to be good. I got to really. This is a great exercise in self control, which who knows maybe that's important as I go into uh, marriage. I don't know. I mean, I, so <laughs> we're going to find out. <laughs> Three dozen, three days, no biggie. I know, man. I'm, I'm totally measuring my uh, value as a condition by how many donuts I get from patients. No question. Yeah, but, but we're earning at, them, though. We're earning that's them. Right, that's right, we are. But you're actually going to be uh, away for a while, right? Because you got a, a, new, a clinical starting tomorrow. Yeah, got that side gig called PT school. 
Yeah, tell me about the worst timing ever. Um, you know, the we you know when the, the a lot of the clinic and getting everything started was um a lot of you know the timeline we didn't have a lot of control over, you know, how long is the construction going to take, paperwork, you know, negotiating the lease, whatever it is. Um so we didn't have a ton of say on the timeline. Um so it kind of ended up being like, okay, we're starting at the beginning of the new year, just worked that way out worked its way out that way. And of course, I have a clinical that starts on the 7th, um, which is the day this episode comes out. So um, I will actually be um, at an HC, um, which is a, you know, kind of a, um, you know, they're all over the place, uh, skilled nursing facility. So 12 weeks, I'm excited for the opportunity. should hopefully be a great learning experience. Um, but that does mean that I've got about an hour drive every day um, to and mm-hmm. from and trying to run the, the new spot. So it's going to be a long 12 weeks, man. <laughs> Long days, man, but I'm sure to fly by, staying busy that whole time too. And you know, that's a that's a pretty cool concept. I heard that NHC is also treating pediatrics. They have contracted with a school nearby too. So that's a really neat concept, treating kids in the nursing home. I'm sure that the geriatric population loves that. So let me know how that goes, man. That'd probably be something good to talk about on a future episode. Yeah, I'm really excited for that because otherwise, you know, I don't, I didn't anticipate um, ever really diving into pediatrics or having an experience with that. Um, also, you know, geriatrics is not necessarily something I'm really passionate about, but I can, it's going to be so important to have this experience on both ends of the lifespan there because mm-hmm. you know, when you're an outpatient ortho, man, you don't know what's going to walk through the door. Uh, so you got to be prepared um, for, you know, any and all uh, situations. So I'm excited to get to experience that and hopefully it will make me a better clinician in the long run. Hear that, man. Well, speaking of kids, found out last Thursday we're having a baby boy. Yeah, baby boy Vaughn. Let's go. Man, I'm going to get him wrestling as soon as he can crawl. Um, I'm excited, though, man. A little nervous at the same time. My daughter's three now, and all I know are hair bows and dresses. And the thing about girls is, man, they're easy. All I got to do is keep Scarlett healthy and keep her off the pole. And I've done my job as a dad. So I got to, I mean, I got to figure out how to make uh, my son a better version of me, I guess, and make sure he's not a pain in the ass like I was. Still am sometimes, but we'll see how it goes, man. One day at a time. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be awesome. So happy for you and Rachel. I, I know, uh, you know, seeing how excited you were uh, when you got the call the other day, uh, it was pretty cool, man. So I'm, I'm pumped for you guys, and you're, you're going to be a great dad to that little boy. Appreciate it, man. I'm, I'm stoked. Get to get to experience both, man. Very blessed. Mm-hmm. All right, man, let's get into this episode. So we're talking ankle mobility. Um, so does ankle mobility matter? And why do we need to be concerned about it in the first place? Yeah, man, to tell you, as someone who has what I would consider very poor ankle mobility, yes, ankle mobility matters. Um, it is a daily struggle for yours truly and has been ever since my very first lateral ankle sprain in ninth grade. So um, as a freshman in high school on the basketball floor. So um, it is something that, you know, can very much affect a lot of other things upstream. So, you know, for me, you know, being a CrossFitter and Olympic lifter, um, my ankle range of motion greatly affects a ton of other movements that a lot of times, you know, if we're not, you know, keying in on it, we might be wondering, okay, well, why is their torso very forward in the squat? Why, you know, why are they unable to, to hit greater depth? Or why are they able, unable to remain upright in a clean? Why are they folding? You know, there are so many um, different, you know, things that are affected by poor ankle mobility. So if you are working with somebody as a clinician or a, uh, a coach and you see somebody that where their movement pattern is not what you would consider ideal, don't neglect to look all the way down at the bottom. Mm-hmm. For sure, man. Yeah, you, you bet your ass ankle mobility matters. And mm-hmm. you, like you said, man, those are great examples from yourself. But I mean, there's just so many. I mean, we, we, need, we need it just to walk properly. I mean, mm-hmm. we need to express movement 
getting to the bottom of a squat. I mean, squats, the foundation for any human performance system. I'd even make the argument that you could potentially improve someone's vertical jump just by improving their ankle dorsiflexion without even training strength or power. Um, we don't have ample, uh, ample ankle mobility. And I'm talking mostly dorsiflexion, lateral tibial glide. You know, what you get is excessive stress and strain on the joints above and below. So talking about the knee and the forefoot and, and everything else higher up. Um, I know that sounds like a generalist statement and maybe it is, but that stress, above and below is going to be highly specific to the demands of the person or the athlete that's in front of you. So uh, it is a big, big thing uh, that we really need to make sure we're looking at thoroughly. So with that said, let's, let's get a little bit about how we assess it. You know, what are we assessing? What are we looking for and how we do it? And uh, I mean, for me, you can have, you can assess any way you want to, you can have your own system, but if you've heard me talk before, you know that I'm a big fan of SFMA. So that's usually what I'm going to start with. And one of the things I'm going to look at is a functional squat. And then I'm doing breakouts or going joint by joint from there. So generally for me, I'm going to actually start with tibial internal rotation. You probably thought I was going to say dorsiflexion, but I like to look at tibial IR. So if something doesn't look right during that multi-segmental rotation and that foot's doing something weird, it's starting to rise early on the affected side, or, or maybe they collapse into valgus during a double or single leg squat, I'm going to break this out. And there's lots of ways to check it, but a really simple one is just to have your, your client or your, your patient sit down on an object like a med ball where they're at the bottom of their squat and you can do it for them or they can do it themselves, but basically stabilize or block their knee and have them spin their foot on the ground, have them spin it immediately, but leaving the entire foot and all the toes on the ground, if you can picture that. And uh, basically what I'll look for is that, that that fifth toe, that pinky toe needs to be able to cross over the midline of the patella. And of course, I'm looking at what the side-to-side asymmetries are out there. And, and if you want to measure it, I'm looking for something like 20 degrees here. And before the pain science nerds jump on that word asymmetry, if your movement requires symmetry to perform optimally or correctly, like a squat, symmetry absolutely matters. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's something that we neglect a lot of times. We automatically just do, oh, it's dorsiflexion, dorsiflexion, dorsiflexion. But things like internal rotation or lateral tibial glide are so important, for example, with, you know, specifically internal rotation. Um, you've got to have that so that the talus can clear that distal end of the tibia. So if it can't, inter- your tibia can't internally rotate, then you're just going to have almost like a, uh, like basically those two bones jamming together there. So, um, you've got, you know, that's going to feel that pinch in the front. Um, and I like how you, you go to that because I do think that's kind of a problem that that gets neglected we're we're good at at uh you know working on dorsiflexion at least in the coaching community but oftentimes Mm -hmm. we miss these two things IR and lateral tibial glide for sure and and as far as correctives go I mean there's a million of them out there and they they all work um I like to keep it simple though the the classic ankle rock mobilization everybody knows of um just with a little bit of a, literally a spin on it where the practitioner, the patient literally grabs their lower leg and twists it into internal rotation. That's my go-to again, keep it simple, keep it fast, make sure it's effective and test, retest that make sure you've actually made the change you, you wanted to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And make sure if you're doing that to yourself, because um, oftentimes I'll, I'll work with athletes and I'll be like, okay, grab your hands around the, the top of your, your shin bone and, you know, talk, you know, and speaking in those terms, push down with a little bit of force. You do want a little bit of compression, turn it in, and then, you know, you know then have them move. You want to make sure they don't go into valgus a little bit, that valgus motion, mm-hmm. a valgus collapse when they do that. Because oftentimes, if they lack that internal rotation, you're trying to do a mobilization like that, you'll get them moving into a little bit of valgus so um, just another thing to consider yeah that's huge man the details definitely matter you don't want to cheat that mm-hmm. for sure um so after that after looking at tibial ir um next thing i'm gonna do is look at 
Dorsey collection. That's just the way my, my internal flow chart works. If you decide to check it first, you're not wrong. It's just my system. So again, lots of ways to assess it. My go-to though is the wall test. And that's the one where you're going to have your clients stand or kneel with their big toe. I believe the standard is four inches away from the wall. I actually haven't done that in years. My, my go-to is the TPI's method where you have that, the patient actually use their own hand width and you know space that out from the wall. That way they can easily perform it anywhere, anytime they want to. And all you have to do is have the person rock their knee as far as they can towards the wall without their foot coming up, without their heel coming up, and uh, without coming into valgus, like you said with that last part, because that's essentially cheating the test. And again, with this, I'm looking for side-to-side difference here. And you know, if you want to measure it, I'm looking for as much as possible. 20 degrees is nice. Not a lot of people have that. Um, if, if you feel like a person maybe has too much ankle dorsiflexion, I'm not sure if that's a thing. Um, then, you know, maybe you're seeing something like they bottom out too much or under a loaded squat because of, you know, having super hypermobile ankles, you know, maybe they can remedy that with getting some thick ass knee sleeves or something like that. But, um, you know, that's, that's, uh, usually my go-to is that wall test. Yeah. I love that too, man. Or, or I, I usually call it like a weight bearing lunge test. You'll see it called a bunch of different things, but I mean, it's the same kind of concept. Um, I am like you like the method of using their hands standardize it a little bit more, um, ensure some repeatability there. Again, they can also test themselves. Oftentimes I'm trying to create independence with a lot of these things. So I want them to be able to test, retest, implement, test again, that kind of thing uh, on their own. Um, And I think this test is great because it can sometimes lead you where you need to go next um, based on how it feels to the person. So if they talk about feeling a pinch in, in you know, in the front, as they get to end range of this test um, on, you know, say on a side where they're, you know, maybe there is some kind of asymmetry in that the side that's lacking, they feel a pinch that might tell you, okay, I, I'm looking more at the joint. Maybe there's a bony limitation or something, you know, who knows what's going on um, at this point, but it kind of starts to lead you in one direction um, versus they feel a, a big, stretch in the back maybe then it's more of like a uh, soft tissue sensibility issue or more of a increase in tone um, and that you know would be a different intervention to address the same the same thing you're trying to still increase dorsiflexion but um, I'll ask the person kind of what they feel it in range you know and and you know, usually it's one or the other. Some people, they feel both and then you kind of kind of go to go at it from multiple angles, but oftentimes you can kind of start to narrow it down. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Yeah. If someone definitely just has that, that, that joint lock, you know, that, that hard infill there, you know, not everyone's going to be able to get a ton of dorsiflexion. That's okay. There's ways to, to train around that. And we'll, we'll get to that too in a little bit as well. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you made that point as well. Um, yeah. so I'm sure we can, we can improve most people's dorsiflexion some, but it's definitely not realistic that everybody's going to get somewhere between 10 and 20 degrees of that. Right. Um, well, so if somebody has a, that little pinch in the front, what's your go-to where they're, 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 yeah. You're getting that feeling, that sensation when they get to end range of dorsiflexion. What do you, where are you going with it? So personally, myself, I'm usually going to start with some manual therapy techniques that are going to be directed towards that talocrural joint. Um, usually a posterior glide to the talus. And, you know, these are going to be some type of mulligan technique or it might be some Maitland mobilizations with the patient in long sitting or, you know, laying supine. Um, I know since working with Donnie Thompson over the past several years, I'm more often than not actually use a voodoo band. Um, wrap their entire ankle and, you know, put a ton of distraction on it. And I'm spending time mobilizing everything, not just the tower curl joint. I'm going to hit the subtalar joint, the forefoot, the toes, proximal mm-hmm. distal fibula. I mean, you name it. Um, as far as reinforcing that at home, uh, my, my go-to for the home exercise program is usually the, I call it a bastardized mulligan technique with a functional fitness band. And basically I'm going to have them put that band as low as they can on their ankle, below those two bumps on the inside and outside of your ankle, what's your medial and lateral malleoli. 
you're stretch that band out as far as possible and perform some ankle rocks, very similar to the wall test that we used to assess. And there's a lot of flavors you can add there. You can have them reach down and grab the outside of the band to direct it towards the distal fibula. You can have them throw their forefoot or their toes up on a plate, give them a little more dorsiflex. You can introduce a little bit of lateral tibia, whatever. Um, as far as dosage go, we know that with this kind of stuff, when it comes to mobilizations, that the numbers don't really matter a whole lot on the surface. But explain to you the psychology with exercise prescription, people like numbers. And people also like to have some control and some choice of what they're doing. So I'm typically going to give them a range. I'm going to have them oscillate for 90 seconds to two minutes. That, that's usually my go-to to start with. Yeah, no, I love that, man. And if somebody doesn't have a band at home, you can use your hand somewhat on this and kind of more of a self-mobilization where you would essentially kind of turn your hand, internally rotate your arm back towards you. So the web of your hand uh, in between your thumb and your index finger, you can actually place that um, on the, the top of your foot with kind of your fingers, your your thumb and index finger running below your medial and lateral malleoli and kind of, again, pushing you know from front to back there, kind of down as you bring that knee forward. Um, and I use then use my chest a little bit to apply over pressure as I'm pushing forward. Um, again, you know, if you don't have a band set up or if you're at home and you're trying to incorporate these, uh, that's one way to go. But I love the band as well. Um, I tend to, to use that one a lot. Um, I like to add some compression with it again, where they're either pushing down on their knee to apply progression, uh, uh, compression while they move forward, or you can use a kettlebell or something um, to get a little bit more force through there too. Sure. Yeah. And bands are so common now. I mean, I think they even have a plan of fitness these days for real, like not even a joke. So um, yeah, you know, I I like the bands. I think they work well and I think patients like using them when they know what they're doing. It makes them look legit when they're doing the mobility. So uh, that's my go-to. But with that said, a a manual therapy technique or even a self-mobilization is usually not enough. You, You then you have to actively load into the new position to make it stick. Got to spend some time with that in-range dorsiflexion. For some people, they just need to squat, and that's what's going to get them there, especially if they're new, especially if it's the first time working on their ankles. But my go-tos are usually going to be something like have them grab a kettlebell, maybe hang out the bottom of the squat, and spend some time pushing their knees over their toes without the heel coming up. You know, Maybe I'll add a pause in. Maybe I'll add some pails and rails if I feel like it. Uh, Josh, I know one thing that, that you like a lot is the eccentric stretching. Those are great. You care to explain those? Yeah, man, you're stealing my thunder. You're running down basically <laughs> my list word for word right here. Um, but no, uh, to, to add with you, you're right. You have to actively you know, train that position once you've kind of in, maybe increased a little bit of range of motion through one of these techniques. You know, you're essentially you know, training and teaching your nervous system to be okay with and learn how to stabilize this you know, new range of motion, you know, cause it's new to it. You know, you just kind of gained it. You got to use it. So I, you know, I'm immediately getting them into a squat pattern of some kind. And, um, a big one for me is, uh, kind of a slow, you know, eccentric where I'm focusing on kind of the knee forward in a split squat. So uh, I got this one from Quinn Hinnick and uh, the clinical athlete. I took his uh, weightlifting course, which is a great course, by the way. Um, so if he's ever coming to a city near you, I, I definitely recommend it. And this is one where I'm grabbing two light kettlebells. I'm getting in a slight split stance, um, you know, not a huge lunge position, but the, the ankle that I am addressing is my forward leg. And then I try to slowly drive my knee as forward as I can. And again, no, your knee is not going to blow up. It's allowed to go over your toes for all those you know, people who are still worried about that. Um, so let that knee go forward. I'm actually, I'm holding those weights in my hands. So they're on either side of my leg as I'm going down and I'm just, you know, uh, 
slowly working into that stretch, driving into that end range. And the whole time I'm focusing on, uh, you know, breathing. I usually have people say, I want you to go nice and slow. I want four to five breaths on the way down and then slow on the way up and just, you know, three to five reps. And I mix this in with people in between their working sets of something. So it might be, I do some, you know, some type of manual therapy or a, a, um, you know, some type of mobilization or soft tissue, something, you know, whatever I'm doing, um, or a banded ankle mode, I'm going immediately into this. And then I'm going immediately into a, maybe a full squat pattern, a goblet squat, back squat, front squat, whatever it is. And then I'm coming back, I'm hitting more of these, I'm going back into the full squat pattern. And I'm, I'm just, you know, getting them comfortable with that new range of motion that I'm trying to, to get. So I love using the single leg version with that. It's the same thing you mentioned with the goblet squat going down, really trying to push the knees forward, almost putting your elbows on your legs, while you're holding the kettlebell to help drive those knees forward. Um, I think that, you, you know, we have to use load to our advantage here and it can be so much more beneficial than just doing something passive. Yeah. I mean, it's very much a continuum. It's a, it's a kind of a, a series, like a chain of events and a process that you want to follow um, very intentionally in the clinic too. Um, definitely. Again, everything works, but at least have a, a reason for what you do. So I really like that. He's such a stretching. Mm. Um, so moving on from there, I think the, when it comes to ankles, I think the other big one that seems to get overlooked and is underrated is lateral tibial glide. Mm-hmm. And admittedly, this is one that I've been really consistent with probably just the past year and a half. And this is after seeing Mitch Babcock's friend, Zach Long, emphasizing his course, uh, Chris Johnson giving us a double dose at his run essentials course just a couple months ago. So lateral tibia glide is very important, especially when you see someone collapsing in the valgus during a single leg squat or any single leg movement. You know, the hip abductors always get blamed for this, and that's definitely probably part of the problem. But if people don't have ankle dorsiflexion, they often don't have enough lateral tibial glide to get those knees out or to get into a good position. So a quick assessment is just to have your client or your patient lay on their back with the affected or the testing knee bent stabilize their forefoot really good just kind of keep it flat against the ground and then have them actively abduct or just you know let the let the knee fall out and i like to look for something like 30 to 40 degrees here but again i'm also looking for side to side differences now if you and the patient decide that they can benefit from having more lateral tibial glide you can actually use that assessment as a mobilization you can do maitland style moves mulligan techniques whatever but my main takeaway with that is just take the extra 30 seconds this week to assess lateral tibia glide if you don't do it already and see what you get. And if you got a stubborn case of knee pain that isn't getting better, take a look at lateral tibia glide, maybe work on it for a couple of minutes to see what happens. It definitely ain't going to hurt anything. Yeah, I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I see someone um, as a coach or a, a clinician in the various places that I've been. Um, they'll be working with an athlete that's squatting. Notice that something doesn't look right. Immediately test dorsiflexion, which, again, is not necessarily a bad idea. Dorsiflexion isn't a problem. They easily pass the wall test, and then they go right back to squatting. It's kind of like, well, I don't know what to do next. And this is one of the ones that um, ever since, you know, getting master of the squat way back in the day, um, the very first one that came out, um, you know, it gotta be a couple years ago now. Um, I've been starting to incorporate that as well. And I'm, you know, as you mentioned, I'm not necessarily as worried about the actual degree of, uh, uh, you know, the angle I can get there as much as I'm, I'm looking at side to side differences. Um, and then if I'm addressing this with somebody, um, you know, from a manual therapy perspective, I'm going to give, you know, work on the distal fibula. Um, but I love to give them a self mobilization that's similar position to what I mentioned with the dorsiflexion where their hand is 
kind of, you know, they, in, they internally rotate their shoulders. So that way that web space between their, their thumb and their index finger is still on that same, um, you know, on the talus on the top of their foot. Um, and I'm going to have their, uh, you know, I'm going to have them elevated where they're actually, you know, their foot's on a box or a bench. So they're in almost like a lunge position, but like a standing lunge. They've got their hand there. And then while I'm applying a, a, a force there and, and a glide there with my hand, I'm then using my body weight and my other hand of the, uh, of that side to work into more of that, that forward, that dorsiflexion, but also lateral. I'm kind of working at that angle there. Um, and I've found that to have a lot of great success with that. And oftentimes it doesn't take a lot of, uh, of work with that. Um, you know, if it's something that they've never addressed before. Um, so I'll hit that and then go right back into some squat sets. And then I'll hit that right back into something loaded and just keep going through that cycle. Yeah, man, that's, you'll see a really quick change work on lateral tibia gladys, especially someone's never addressed it at all. Uh, if you just work on one ankle for two minutes and then have them retest their squat, you'll actually see an asymmetry. You'll see a, like that side you just worked on, you know, that hip is like coming way out to the side and then you got to go back and do the other one as well too. But, um, that's a good way to get buy-in for sure. Yeah, man, definitely. So the last thing I wanted to, to talk about is the fact that if you do have someone coming in with just a significant lack of ankle mobility all around, it's going to take some time to get there. It's going to take some time and some consistency. So let's say someone is just, we'll keep it simple, just, just lacking dorsiflexion. They, they come in, they can't even get to, to neutral. They can't get to zero degrees, which is basically 90 degrees, um, you know, for a lay person at the ankle. Um, what are some ways that what are some things you're going to do to basically allow them to kind of train around this ways that they can scale their workouts, compensate, maybe some equipment they could use things like that. Yeah. Well, I think the important thing to look at is, okay, well, what movements are they limited in, in terms of like what, if they don't have dorsiflexion, what movements require ample dorsiflexion? So we're talking about the squat and arguably I would say pulling from the ground, especially any Olympic variation. Um, so, you know, those two movements are, there's going to have to be some modification from your standard squat and your standard deadlift, um, you know, most likely. So for me, I'm trying to find a variation that allows them to keep a vertical shin. Um, basically, you know, the range of motion they do have, because if i trying to push them into a range of motion they don't have, there will be a compensation. They're, they're, you know, if they're an athlete or a client or a patient, you know, they're trying to do the movement. They're going to find a way to do the movement. It's not necessarily going to be the way you want them to do it, but they'll find a way to complete it. If you tell them, Hey, your hips have to get, you know, your hip has hip crease has to get below parallel. They're going to do it. Um, it's just not necessarily going to look great. So for me, I'm trying to find a variation that allows them to operate within the range of motion they do have. So for, from we're talking about a squat, I'm going to go straight to the box. That's my go-to. I'm going to find a box height that's appropriate for them that allows them to sit back and to, you know, keep that shin pretty vertical and, and still be able to get the benefit of, of squatting there as I'm working on that ankle mobility. Uh, you could also go with um, something like a, a Spanish squat or a sissy squat, whatever you want to call it, which allows you to keep the shin a little bit more vertical or have them let them use like a TRX or something where there are rings where they're holding it or, or a rope where they can sit back as they're Squatting. Basically, anything that allows you to still go through the squat pattern while keeping that shin vertical. Um, and from a pulling standpoint, my first go-to there is just going to be, um, you know, moving the height of the bar up. So doing a rack pull or pull from the blocks, or you know, having them take it, you know, out of the rack, step back, and do an RDL only down to a position that allows them to maintain that upright um, and and vertical tibia. 
Uh, I'm just not going to let them push into that uh, that range of motion that they don't have. Uh, and so for me, you can you can modify those things. You may even be able to get away with something like a sumo deadlift or like changing you know their their position. There, there's a lot of ways you can go with it. The most important thing is that you're doing something. So um, I'm trying to see okay, well, what's the range of motion they do have, and then which one of these variations is appropriate for that person while I'm trying to address uh, their limitation. I like it, man. So pull from the blocks, uh, pull from the rack, squat to a box. They could pull from the hang, they could sumo deadlift, or they could also land in the power position too. They're working mm -hmm. on Olympic lifts as well. Uh, where are you at with lifters or um, the uh, makeshift lifters just putting plates under someone's heels? Yeah, man. People yeah. hate on uh, hate on lifters a lot of times talking about that they're a crutch. Um, well, first, uh, I think people understand that there's a reason that you know, the top level you know, weightlifters wear Olympic lifting shoes, even though they don't lack dorsiflexion, right? It is a performance advantage. And um, I think there's nothing wrong with that, especially if that is your sport. Um, I think that using those as a compensation and then not working on your ankles. Now that leads to a little bit of an issue. I'm, I find myself in that boat a little bit. I use my lifters. I rely on them a little too much uh, because I'm, I neglect my ankle range of motion a little too, too often. Uh, so, you know, for me, I don't have a problem of using something like that, whether it be plates, whether it be a board, whether it be lifting shoes to allow them to be in a safer position, because, you know, the last thing I want to do is, you know, compensate something upstream, as we mentioned earlier, um, and, you know, and have a knee hip, or back issue because I'm, I, you know, I, I'm not allowing them to use something that will put their body in a better position. Um, so I don't have any problem with it. I think over time, uh, you know, we, we still need to address what, you know, what the underlying issue is, that there's something there. Uh, but for me, I think it, there's a time and a place for them. And I think it's case by case, but I definitely will in, you know, use some of these things as I'm working with somebody on their ankle range of motion. hundred percent. If you want to win competitions, you're going to wear lifters End of story. Yep. Yeah. So with that said, Josh, do you have any resources for any techniques, whether it's mobilizations, manual therapy, whatever it might be for people that want to work on their ankle mobility? Yeah, well, I feel like we um, we tell him we use them every time. We say them pretty much on every topic. But Zach's got some great resources. Barbell physio. Uh, I mentioned master of the squats, where the first thing that opened my eyes to looking at lateral tibial glide. So check out his resources. And you also already mentioned something about him too, uh, Donnie Thompson. So coming from more of the strength conditioning world. Um, incredible power lifter who we've had we've talked had on here and talked about um but his big thing is the ankle he loves you know in addition to his body tempering stuff he loves talking about and researching and working on ankles so um i encourage you to go to his youtube channel super dtv 3000 uh, donnie is a wealth of knowledge it puts out so much information for free and there are so many videos on there on every topic you can think of, uh, but flossing the ankle and working on the ankle and mobilizing the ankle uh, you know, under compression, using the half lacrosse ball. Um, there are so many different pearls on that channel. So I encourage you to go check out some of Donnie's resources too, if you want to work on somebody's ankles. Love it. Well, that's it for this week. If you haven't already, be sure to head on over to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast first, then leave us a five-star review. We want to get to hundred as soon as possible. Be sure to give us a follow on Instagram. It's at Better Faster Podcast. You can find Josh at CPT underscore strength, and I'm at Vertex PT. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Monday. This episode is brought to you by Vertex PT Specialist. One patient per doctor of physical therapy per hour. Guaranteed. The best physical therapy ever. Check us out at VertexPT.com or on the gram at Vertex PT.